Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'll be reading John 1, 1 through 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not a thing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. I'm sure that there's a lot of words that could be used to describe your Christmas. One word would be joyful. You enjoyed the gifts, the family gatherings, as well as the worship of Jesus. Christmas was a joy. But others of you would use another word to describe Christmas, and that is the word exhausting. The travel, the gift buying, and the Christmas parties, they all just left you worn out. You are here this morning, but you're not quite sure how you made it here. Your body is operating on autopilot. In order to see how awake you really are this morning, then, I'd like for you to take a pop quiz. So don't worry, it's not going to be a hard test. Okay, so let me ask you two questions about Christmas. Question number one, in what town was Jesus born? Where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem, which we've sung about this morning. Now for question number two. In what year was Jesus born? What was the year of his birth? Again, most of you know that Jesus was born in the year 0 A.D. The initials A.D. are an abbreviation for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, which means in English, in the year of the Lord. Because Jesus is the most important person in history, Jesus' birth changed our very calendars. Because we are living in the last few years of, or the last few days of the year 2019, we are living in the year of the Lord 2019. That is, we are living 2,019 years after the birth of Jesus. At Christmas, we usually think about the details of Jesus' birth that are found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. We think about Mary traveling on the donkey to Bethlehem from Nazareth. We think about the baby Jesus being placed in the manger, an animal's feeding trough, after he was born. These details about Jesus' birth are all true. But Jesus' best friend on earth, the Apostle John, had a different perspective on Jesus when he wrote his gospel. We see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. John calls Jesus the Word of God. And John goes on to say that Jesus has always lived and never had a beginning. Whoa. If that is true, and it is, then nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth about Jesus Christ. In light of this truth, we need to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? And so let's look at who Jesus is from John chapter 1 this morning so that we might worship him appropriately. 
First of all, we see from John 1 that Jesus is God, and yet distinct from God. Listen as I read again the first verse of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in this particular verse, John echoes the very first verse in the whole Bible, from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. I'd like for us to read out loud that verse together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, when John starts his gospel with the words, in the beginning, readers of the Bible are expecting the very next word to be God. In the beginning, God. But that is not the next word that John uses. Instead, John says, in the beginning, was the Word. So, okay, John, who is that Word? Well, we have to wait until verse 14 of John's Gospel to find out who the Word is. In that verse, we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became a human person. And according to verse 14, that Word had glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, we read that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus, then, is the Word. He is the Word that is spoken about in verse 1 as well as in verse 14. He is the Word who has brought to us grace and truth. We learn that this Word was made flesh in verse 14. Jesus, then, he truly is that baby who was born in a manger, described in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. But John says, if you really want to know who Jesus is, you have to go back even farther than his birth in Bethlehem. How far back do you have to go? Way back. What do we learn about the word in John 1 and verse 1? We learn three things. First, we learn that the Word is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus' beginning then was not when he was born at Bethlehem. In fact, Jesus as the Word does not even have a beginning. He is eternal. He has always been and then we learn two other things about the Word in verse 1 of John's Gospel. That the Word was with God and that the Word was God. So Jesus is God and yet he is distinct from God. He is said to be with God as a separate person even though Jesus himself is God. And it was Jesus according to verse 3 who was God the Father's agent of creation. Jesus did what only God can do. Jesus created all things that we see today. We read in verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, then, is not part of creation. Jesus was before creation. He was and is the God who created all things. 
And so what we are seeing here in John chapter 1 is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Now, what does the doctrine of the Trinity state? In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, we see God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus will introduce us to the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. All three persons in the Trinity are God, but all three persons are distinct from one another. So what is John's answer to the question, who is this Jesus who was born in a manger? Jesus is God. Two British men bumped into each other at a restaurant one day. And both of these men were were waiting for other friends to come and to join them for a meal. And so they, they stood in the lobby of that restaurant while they waited for their friends. Since they were British, they were reserved in their dealings with one another. They nodded to each other, but they didn't talk. They kind of just did what we do when we enter into an elevator with strangers. We look at the ceiling, we look at the carpet, and that's what they did as they stood there waiting for their friends. But then one of the men, a man named Rico, he heard the other man's friend approach him and say to him, Oh, William, there you are. Let's go eat. And that's when it hit Rico. For the past few minutes in that restaurant, he had been standing next to this man that I brought a picture of this morning. He had been standing next to Prince William, the future king of England. And Rico had said absolutely nothing to him. Now, as he looked at him for a while, he he thought that William looked familiar. But on the other hand, he said, yeah, this is just an ordinary guy. I don't know this guy, so I'm not going to talk to him. And so Rico was silent. He did not make the connection until it was too late. All he could do after that moment was to kick himself for not speaking to the prince. Let me ask you the most important question I could ever ask you. Who do you think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Some of you might say, well, Jesus, he's a really good man. You admire him. You like some of the things that he taught. It seems to you that he helped a lot of people. That's Jesus, a good man who set a good example for the rest of us. It's true that Jesus is a man. He was a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is more than just a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus is God. He is God the Son, who was with God the Father before anything was created in this world. Do you believe this? Do you have faith in what John wrote, that Jesus is God in the flesh? Do you have faith that Jesus is the Word of the Father, If so, then you believe that Jesus as the Word is God's message for the entire world. Jesus is God's revelation to the world of who God really is. Jesus reveals God the invisible Father 
as Jesus, the distinct and visible Son of God. I truly hope that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if Jesus really is God, we need to respond to him appropriately in our lives. We are to worship Jesus without ceasing as God. We are to obey him without hesitation. We are to love him without reservation. And we are to serve him without interruption. This is how Jesus, as God, is meant to be treated. Well, Jesus is not only God, yet distinct from God. Jesus also is human. As important as it is to believe that Jesus is God, it is also important for us to believe that Jesus is human. For this reason, John wrote in John 1.14, the Word became flesh. Jesus became a human being. Something similar is said in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. Let's read those verses together. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So what was God's word to us? How did God speak to us? He spoke to us by his Son, the word become flesh. Now in saying that the word became flesh, John is not saying that Jesus came into existence when he was placed in Mary's womb. Rather, John is saying that Jesus became a human being in addition to a divine being. Jesus has always been divine. Jesus has always existed. He is eternal. But Jesus did not become human until his conception in Mary. So why did Jesus become human? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would God become a man? Jesus could have stayed in heaven, where everyone worshipped him there, because he's God. He lived in a perfect place, and he was always worshipped. That sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it to you? To live in a perfect world where you're always worshipped, and yet Jesus decided that he would become a man with his father. And so Jesus made that decision with the Father and became a man for us. Why? Well, we get a hint at the answer when we read in verse 14 that Jesus, as the Word, dwelt among us. He lived with us. God's purpose and desire has always been to live with people that he has created. During the days of the Exodus, when God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt and they were waiting to enter into the promised land, they lived in tents out in the wilderness. And who else lived in a tent with them? God did. God lived in a tent called a tabernacle, right in the center of his people Israel. That's where God lived. In fact, the word tabernacle is the word that John uses in John 1 and verse 14 to say that Jesus dwelt 
among us. Literally, in John 1.14, it says that Jesus tabernacled among us. He lived right in the center of his people, just like God in the days of the Exodus lived in the center of his people, Israel. Now, what took place at the tabernacle helps us to understand why God became a man. At the tabernacle, people offered up to God sacrifices to atone for their sins. We have all sinned. We have all offended God's perfect holiness. And the penalty for sin is death. But in his grace, God has given us undeserved and unearned mercy. God has provided for us a sacrifice to take our place. In the days of the Exodus, animals were sacrificed on behalf of the people. They were sacrificed at the tabernacle to bring forgiveness from God to us. All those animal sacrifices pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice, to the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Jesus would be that ultimate sacrifice that we need. He would die for our sins on the cross to bring us the forgiveness from God that we need. John 1.14 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus told us the truth about our sin. He told us that we deserve the judgment of God for what we have done. But then Jesus gave to us, he poured out upon us the grace that we desperately needed. He died in our place for our sins on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you have faith that Christ died for your sins? If you do, why don't you tell Jesus that in prayer? If you would like help in expressing your faith to Christ today, I'd be happy to pray with you after our service today. Jesus came to earth because both he and his Father want a relationship with you. That is their desire. But the only way that God can have a relationship with you is if your sins are forgiven. And if you want your sins to be forgiven, you must come to Christ. Jesus needs to be your tabernacle. He needs to be the place where you meet God, where you trust that Christ is your sacrifice, who took your place so that you might be forgiven. Some people today, when they look at Jesus, they don't see anything special. They look at Jesus like that man Rico looked at Prince William in that restaurant in Britain. Here's what one man said about Jesus. Jesus taught a few people, gathered a few disciples, did an uncertain number of miracles, aroused a great number of enemies, was betrayed by a close follower and disowned by another, and then he died on a cross. Where's the glory in that? Where is the glory in Jesus Christ? 
And yet John writes in John 1.14 that in Jesus we have seen glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we see Jesus' glory? Not so much in his miracles, although his miracles were indeed glorious. But we see Jesus' glory mainly in his humble, obedient servant life. We see Jesus' glory in his love for us. Though Jesus had the power that created the world, he subjected himself to human scorn and abuse. He allowed his heart to be broken over the rejection he suffered from his own people. And he allowed his body to be broken on a cross. He gave up his life so that we might have life. Is that not glorious? What a glorious God we have, that Jesus would love us in such a way. Real glory is seen in humble devotion that is given in service to God. This is the kind of glory that was seen in the life of Mother Teresa, the woman who served the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. A pastor friend of mine once flew on an airplane with Mother Teresa, and she was traveling by herself. She did not have an entourage of people to take care of her every need. And so my friend, looking at her, he asked her if he could perhaps pick up her bag and carry it when they reached baggage claim. Mother Teresa was less than five feet tall. She probably weighed less than 100 pounds. She was a very small person. And so he thought, well, maybe I can help her by carrying her bag. But when they reached baggage claim, he realized that her bag was very, very small. She could easily carry it by herself. She had no wealth. She had no great power. And yet, as people looked at her, at this very small woman, what did they see? They saw glory. They saw glory in her for some reason. And where did her glory come from? It came from her willingness to serve other people. And this is the glory that Jesus has. Jesus became a man to serve us. He served us sacrificially by teaching us, by healing us, by feeding us, and ultimately by dying for us. What a glorious Jesus that we worship. Jesus became a man and showed us his glory. Jesus also, we see in John 1, is life and light. In verses 4 and 5, we see these other two characteristics of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We see in these verses that Jesus is life. Because Jesus is the Word, he has the power to create life. We have already seen in verse 3 that Jesus was God's agent of creation at the beginning of time. 
God spoke, and by the power of his word, things came to life. He is the word of creation. Jesus has the power, though, not only to give physical life, Jesus also has the power to give spiritual life as well. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Belief in Jesus, trust in Jesus, leads to eternal life, which is spiritual life. Normally, when we talk about eternal life, people think about the quantity of life. It's eternal, so it it lasts forever. It's a long time. I think that is certainly true. But when we hear about eternal life, I think we should focus on the quality of the life that God gives to us. Since it is eternal life, and since God is eternal, eternal life is the life that God has that he now lives within us. Eternal life does not begin when you go to heaven. If you are a Christian, you are living eternal life right now. Eternal life begins as soon as Jesus enters your life. And when you have the life of God living within you, do you know what else you have? You have joy. You have hope. You have purpose. You have beauty. Do you have these things? Are you really living? Do you find that your life matters for something important? Are you excited about things? Or are you just keeping busy with your days? Jesus has life that he wants to give you. If you don't feel like you are really living today, why don't you ask Jesus for the life that he has? That's the life he wants you to live. Jesus, though, is not just life. He is also light. The life in Christ comes to us as a light shining in the darkness. What does light do? It warms the heart so that it can be changed. That is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 12 and verse 46. Let's read that verse together. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. To remain in the darkness is to live a life of sin and moral depravity. But when Jesus comes into your life as light, your whole life changes. You no longer want to sin. You want to live a a righteous life that pleases God. And Jesus, as the light, gives you the Holy Spirit so that you can live a life that pleases God, so that you can be empowered to live a holy life. Jesus, as the light, gives you the Holy Spirit so that you have that power inside you to live righteously. You have no power to change within yourself. 
You can't do it. You don't have the power to live differently. But when the light enters into your life, in the Holy Spirit of Jesus, you change. You are changed through Christ and His Spirit. You become a different person. The light of Jesus possesses a life-transforming power that no other life has. A week ago at Hope Baptist, we had the privilege of having the funeral for John Solovich. John and Sally have been members here at Hope for a few years, and it has been a blessing for us to get to know them. One of the things that Sally said at the funeral was remarkable. She said that this church changed John's life. That's an incredible thing to say. Now, here's what I think. I don't think that John's life was changed because of us. We're not all that special. Sorry to disappoint you, but that that is the truth. We're not all that great. But here's what I think. I think that John's life was changed because of the Jesus who lives in us. That's why he was changed. He saw Christ here, and Jesus changed his life. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. He is the light who warms our hearts so that people change. I am so grateful that John's life was changed because he met Jesus here. Christmas 2019 is now over. We have retold the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We have retold the story of Mary and Joseph coming from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We have reminded ourselves of the humble baby Jesus being laid in a manger in a barn after his birth. But let's not forget the part of the story, the Christmas story, that Jesus' best friend John tells in his gospel. Yes, Jesus is human, but he is also God. He is God the Son who has come to earth as life and as light. And because he came to earth as the Word made flesh, he could be a human being who would die on the cross for your sins and give to you eternal life. So let's rejoice in the life that Jesus has brought to us this Christmas. Let's rejoice that he has given to us an eternal life of joy and hope and purpose, and beauty. Let's pray together. Jesus, how grateful we are that you are the Word who became flesh. How grateful we are that you are eternal life, and you have given to us as your children that life. Thank you, O God, for that you are life and light. May we rejoice in that life and light today, and we, may we spread that life and light to others around us. In your great name we pray. Amen.